every drop is brewed especially to suit the modern taste. Bavarian's is for your man and you too. America's fastest growing beer. We like it. Cheers, everyone, and welcome to the Unfiltered Gentleman. And now, with a higher BAC than your ABV, Greg, Ali, Scott, and Dan. Hey, everybody, welcome into the Unfiltered Gentleman. Just Greg here today. I have a very special episode for you. I'm being joined by Rob Leitner, co founder, sales guru, and marketing and bottom line guy over at East Brother Beer Company. Rob, how's it going? Thanks for joining. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, uh, first got introduced to uh, East Brother, and I, I have a shot caller on that zaps me every time I put an S on that because it's singular, <laughs> East Brother. Uh, first got introduced to you guys a few months ago. You started popping up in Southern California, picked it up. It was Bo Pills, amazing, and then got to do the festival pack you guys are selling online with the, the pretzel necklace and, and all the different beers. And I was super impressed, and uh, luckily Jamie helped set this up and, and just really wanted to talk to you guys, talk about beer and and talk about uh, your spot up there. And, and you know, obviously, we're going to talk a little about what's going on in the Rona and all that stuff. Um, we also, just so everybody knows, we have a few beers here we're going to sample. We have the Red Lager, the Red IPA, and the Stout. So we'll get to those as we keep on going through. Uh, so, Rob, if you don't mind, I want to start with you and your history as a beer drinker. When did you get into craft beer? I'm probably I'm I'm a few years older than you, Greg. So probably mid, around the time you were born, maybe. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, a long time ago. Um, I mean, I remember you know Sierra Nevada, and uh, of course Anchor's been a, around forever. I'm right. from the Bay Area, so Anchor is sort of the, you know, the stalwart, uh, arguably one of the original craft breweries. I remember in the '90s, uh, like in the '80s in college, we'd be drinking. MGD, you know, Miller Genuine Draft, like oh, that was yeah. special, you know, the fancy. Um, and then stuff like Sierra Nevada started coming on the on the radar, and it was like, oh my god, what this is an amazing experience. I lived in Japan for a few years, and I used to travel to different countries um, for business. And I went to France once, and I was introduced to Belgian beers in France, and that was again like a, just a mind blower. I had no mm. idea that that beer because Belgian is so characteristic, you know, it's got those amazing notes and flavors, and just so distinctive, and uh, that kind of blew my mind. So. So those sort of, you know, collectively those experiences got me really, really uh, developed an affinity for for beer. Nice. And then you are co-founder with your partner, Chris. Yep. And head brewer, Paul. When did you meet Chris? Uh, Chris and I have known each other a couple decades, probably. We uh, we used to live on the same street and he lives a couple blocks away now. So we're still neighbors, but um, we, have, we happen to have kids that are the same age. So kind of we bonded, like our wives met, you know, we both had like one-year-olds and then our wives got pregnant, had kids at like within a month of each other. So, wow. so our kid, yeah, it's kind of cool. Our kids really grew up together and, you know, scootering and biking and raising hell around the street. And uh, so, so we go way back and we you know, went camping together. And Chris and I were always talking about doing something, some kind of work together. Um, he has, he's had his own business for a lot of years doing kind of retail store development. I worked in a number of corporate jobs, but he started brewing and the quality was just outstanding. And he, he had a very specific philosophy um, that really resonated with me as well, which I'm happy to talk about, you know, length or, or not. But then th that's kind of how it all came together for us. So was that like back in the 80s? No, no, no. It's like we know each other since the 90s. He was brewing okay. in the aughts. And then um, after a number of years of that, 
you know, like I said, we we've been talking about working together for a long time. We couldn't figure out what it should, what, what it would be, what it should be. And then um, I was like, you know, craft beer was starting to get, you know, it's kind of coming back. I remember there was sort of like a sure. crash in the nineties and then it went, you know, it was a little dormant. There weren't, there wasn't that much growth in the aughts. And then in the, you know, since whatever, 2010, 2011, and they started turning up and then it became clear to us, like I said, like, Oh, this is the business we need to do together. <laughs> so how did that start? Were you guys uh, hanging out, just drinking beer and like, wow, we should, we should make money with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Making money. That's funny. <laughs> I was the guy, like when you're brewing at home, uh, you know, people come around, right. Kind of hang out. I was the guy that mm-hmm. hung around more than anyone. It was like, I could, I could almost smell it. You know, I opened my front door and like, Oh, Chris brewing today, honey. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go see Chris right now. We gotta go talk about something. Yeah. And I was the guy who would like go out and, you know, I'd, I'd like run the timer for him or go out and get sandwiches. That was like my, <laughs> that was my role, but, but we just loved it. We loved talking about it, drinking it, trying it. Get back to what I said earlier. Yeah. Chris had an approach that was really doing the same thing over and over. A lot of, hmm. a lot of, you know, home brewers sort of, Hey, let's throw this in, let's throw that in, let's do this style. Let's do that style. Chris was more like, let's do a Vienna lager and make it a hundred times <laughs> and, and just keep and, and tweaking slightly each time and trying to make it better and better each time and make it true to style. Right. Mm. Ultimately end up that ended up becoming one of our taglines or positioning, like return to classic styles, like doing the classics and doing them well. Yeah. And you guys, you do focus on some of the classics. Like you got some loggers, you got some stouts. Um, I don't think you have any popsicle sours. <laughs> or <laughs> There's no donuts or Fruit Loops going in our mash tun. I can tell you that much. <laughs> or hopefully pizza. I mean, I, one oh, brewery did pizza. That was something. Uh, well, while we're talking about loggers, why don't you talk about the first beer we have? I've, I've just poured the uh, the red lager. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. That's the one that, that I was talking about. I mean, that one, that was brewed for years and years before we opened. So this is one that we opened with and we opened with five core beers. The three you talked about, we got a red lager, red IPA. We have a gold IPA. So two IPAs, uh, but then an oatmeal stout and a bohemian pilsner. We just call Bo Pills. So two lagers, three, three ales. We opened with those and we those are still our five core beers. We've added some seasonals, which I can talk about, mm-hmm. but basically the cores are what we really, really love to focus on. And that red lager, it's a beautiful beer. It's got that kind of crackery, sort of little bit of little nutty on the on the aroma. It is flavorful. We tend we've we found that um, a lot of our accounts because we're really we're we have a tap room, right. um, but we're really about you know distribution as well into on and off premise, and it tends to get picked up by restaurants, um, places that serve food because it's really great with food. It's got it's pretty flavorful, but it's very light and crisp on the finish as well. And it's great as an accompaniment to food because it's 4.6 ABV. So it's one of those where you can have a couple or, you know, maybe three, depending on, you know, how your tolerance and and you're okay. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not falling over. It's one of those that is, uh, it's deceptive in how flavorful it is, I think. Um, but it's a really just great sipping beer. Actually, all of our, I mean, our, our <laughs> sales manager, Jared, he's kind of like, these are, our beers are the ones you just want to sit on the back porch and sip. You know, that's one of his things. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. I mean, that's kind of what's great about beer. Yeah, exactly. And and like you say, this one, uh, it's light like a lager, but you get punched with some some caramel and some nuttiness up front from the red. Mm-hmm. And it's it finishes dry and crispy and leaves you wanting more instead of just hanging around on your tongue forever. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And that's, you just hit one of our, our kind of criteria when we're evaluating beers and, and whether or not we're doing what we want to do. And that is, do you want another sip? There's a lot of experimentation, innovation out there. And, you know, sometimes something tastes great and, but you get halfway through and you're like, I kind of need something to clear my palate, you know? So we're sort of, we're, that's kind of our approach from the get go is, is have something that's flavorful, 
but that really finish is clean. Clean finish is really important. It doesn't mean no flavor, right? I mean, you can have right. like an IPA, you can have a nice pleasant bitterness, a balanced mm-hmm. bitterness that, that leaves you wanting more as opposed to one that turns you off. Yeah. And I think you touched on something very important because there are so many beers where you could have a, a taster, but then you couldn't have a pint. There's one brewery in particular that I love, but they have one beer that is supposed to taste like basically liquid bacon. And <laughs> it's it's fun and I could have a sampler of it, but I could never sit down with a full pint of it. And yeah. So I think that uh self-editing yourself is is a, a sign of maturity amongst a brewer who will, you know, make great beer. Talk about some of the seasonals though. What what do you guys turn out not on a regular basis? Yeah, so it's funny. We like I said, we started off classic styles and really we feel we think of ourselves really as a lager centric brewery now because of those five that I mentioned, the two lagers are the two best sellers. Um, Bow Pills by far, that one, yeah. you know, it's won a couple of awards. And so obviously we're flogging that information uh, and little shelf tags in the grocery stores and stuff because it's a it's a jungle out there. Yeah, that's the one I see on shelves the most. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's just a great beer. I, I just, it's, mm-hmm. Pilsner is just, that is, that is to me, it's like the epitome of the classic style. In the first year, we just had the five. And then in, in the second year, so we start, we opened 2017, 2018, Chris was like, let's do, let's start doing some more beers. I was a little hesitant. Like I just, I like simplicity and, and, you know, doing more beers. Okay. That's like more things we have to track and everything, but he was totally right. <laughs> so we introduced um, a lager series. In the next year, in 2019, we introduced what we call a freighter series, uh, which is big, bold ales. Okay. Because mo- a lot of the beers we were doing were, were lower ABV. So, we thought, let's do some big, bold stuff. And, and the, the reason for the series was because, you know, let's, let's not deny it. We are sort of in that era of what have you done for me lately? You know, like what is, what is new and what's, what's next? And I tried this and now I want to try that. It's all, it's a world of FOMO, right? Right. <laughs> really is. We decided to participate in a way where we're not making something new and different all the time. I think since we opened, this is our fourth year, we've probably brewed 15 beers, 15 recipes. But we start with that lager series. And the first one we did was a Baltic Porter. Okay. It's such a great beer. Um, Baltic Porter. You know, Porter stouts are ales, but Baltic Porter, I guess because damn cold up there, the Baltics <laughs> is a lager. It's made with lager yeast. So that uh, the first one, then in the spring, we have a Maybach, also probably a not very well-known style, but a, just a, a wonderful style, wonderful style of uh, offering both, you know, a, a nice balance of malt and hops. Yeah. In the summer, we do a pre-prohibition lager. We call it a pre-pro mm. lager. And that's uh, just this year, we, we, we worked with Admiral Maltings in Alameda, which is a craft mm. maltster. And they... You know, worked with a farmer who had a heritage six row barley. Wow. So basically, like, we used this heritage grain that was being used before prohibition. So it's like as close as we could get to what the pre prohibition lager would be. So it's just, again, classic American lager. And then in the fall, we do a a fest beer. Shocker. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, But that's also, you know, great, classic. So those are the four lagers. So so once a quarter, basically, we release one of those. Um, And then we have the Freighter series, which, uh, like I said, are big, bold ales. So English strong ale, mm-hmm. double IPA, Russian imperial stout, and oh, Belgian tripel, nice. which I think you had, right? You guys, I you did, were, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks, by the way, for being on that uh, little virtual tap room we did when we released. Oh, that, that was, was fun. Great. Oh god, so so great to see the rapport between all of you guys. It's like that's what we're we're all jonesing for in this era of right of isolation and you know disconnectedness. Nice to virtually hang out with some people and share a beer. Yeah. It's great. That's what beer is all about. So yeah, and and on that that session, Paul was talking about that maltster and how you guys are are working with them and to get like this locally sourced malt and basically everything you guys are using now is coming in locally, except for maybe some of the hops. Yeah, for the series beers, we're doing those. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's really cool. Um, bringing it back to to you and, and Chris, starting things off. What is 
I said this before the show. I've been having to like, you know, hit myself every time I put an S on, on East brother. Cause there's no S. So where did the name come from? Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's our fault for naming ourselves the word brother and expecting people to know that it's singular. Right. Cause of course everything, any company with brother in it is like, you know, whatever X, Y, Z brothers. So East brother is a, uh, it's an Island oh. in the San Francisco Bay. It's just North of the Richmond bridge. It's been there. Uh, who knows? It's been there for a hell of a long time. But there is a lighthouse on it. Okay. The lighthouse has been there since eighteen. I want to say seventy six. So you know, coming up 140, 150 years. And there's a there's a little rock next to the island, which is West Brother. So oh. <laughs> sometime way back, someone said, "Hey, that's going to be East Brother, and that's going to be West Brother." Um, and they built a you know they leveled the bigger rock and stuck a lighthouse on it. And it's funny. Most of the people in the Bay Area don't know have not heard of East Brother. Most of them know, oh yeah, there's a little lighthouse on that island. Um, they don't know the name, but the people in Richmond, which is where we're located, yeah. all say, oh, thanks for naming yourselves after you, after you know East Brother. That's super cool. It's, so it's, it's kind of an iconic piece of Richmond history and we wanted to pay our respects to that. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's funny. My wife is from the Bay Area. Nice. I said East Brother to her and she goes, mm, nope, never heard of it. It's yeah. in the island, not the brewery. Nobody's but, heard of it. Yeah, that's funny. Um, how did you guys get Paul into the mix? When we opened, we had another head brewer, a guy named Peter Landman, super great guy, um, helped us enormously in building the brewery and getting us up and running. He really is a, he's a surfer and he's an he's a ocean guy, so he needed to be closer to the, to, to the waves and he moved to Santa Cruz and he works for a brewery down there now. So he moved on uh, about a, after about a year and we found Paul, I don't know, we just interviewed a bunch of different people and Paul, hmm. um, to come right to the end, the end being when we hired him a few months after we hired him, um, I came out and looked at his car and his license plate. He had changed his license plate. He got a, he got a vanity plate and believe it or not, he got the plate lager. <laughs> I mean, how does that, nice. how is that available? Right. <laughs> like, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. So I, I guess the point is he embraced what we're doing you know, from the get go, he is a, a believer in, you know, process and incremental improvements and, you know, trying to save costs here and trying to eke out some efficiency there and trying to mm -hmm. improve our quality over here. And he comes from the world of software and, you know, kind of the tech, the tech world. So he also loves spreadsheets, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> so he, he, and he connects with both Chris and me on, on multiple levels, but, uh, but yeah, Paul's just been amazing in, in taking the reins and and running the whole you know production operation basically. Yeah, and uh, after talking to him for a few minutes, definitely a beer nerd. Great to talk to, and, and definitely knows his stuff. Totally, totally. He's a, yeah, he's one of those people that like Chris and like anyone I don't know that who's intellectually curious, mm -hmm. you know, and so they're always like asking questions and researching things and and finding meaning and finding fulfillment in in learning and education and and moving forward. And that's something that we embrace and appreciate. Yeah. And even offline, after we did our, our little tasting, he was like, so, so what do you guys think? Like, really, what do you think? And could I make any tweaks to it? Like, it was all about wanting to make sure he was making the best beer he could make, which which is always nice to hear. And and uh, it's refreshing because a lot of times you tell a brewer like, hey, you know, like you might have missed something here and the, it, it's not going to go well. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, it's, it's brewing is brewing is solving problems, you know, <laughs> it's, it's things breaking and solving problems. But, but also again, like acknowledging that, um, uh, things don't always go well, you know, sometimes things go sideways and mm -hmm. it's like, what, something, something going on with this one or, you know, I, I'd be lying if I say we didn't, we don't have our share of problems, um, that we don't need to talk about now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, just always uh, being open-minded. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's important. I think that's that's a great attribute. Uh, speaking of him and his beer, let's let's talk about the red IPA. Nice, yeah. So the red IPA, um, that one, I think we had done 
uh, one, so the, the gold IPA came first. And, and again, I'm talking back like in the, the small batch days. Um, and that, that gold IPA is kind of a classic West Coast IPA. Mm-hmm. And my, my wife especially really liked and likes uh, Deschutes Fresh Squeezed. Oh, sure. Um, so if you remember that beer, remember, I mean, it's, there's no need to remember it. It's in here now and it sells a <laughs> Still lot. Around, and it's yeah. a great beer. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that was kind of the inspiration for the red IPA. So it's a very, you know, it's a very malt forward beer. Mm-hmm. I think you could say that probably about a lot of our beers, which again is a little bit of a little anti-trend maybe in this very, in this hops, this age of hops and juiciness yeah. and sweetness, <laughs> malt confers sweetness as well. So, uh, we wanted to have something that was kind of a contrast or a complement to the, to the gold IPA. And this one, like all of our beers, doesn't have a whole, uh, well, we don't have any beers with, you know, five or six hops in them. This one, Red IPA, uh, has Simcoe and Mosaic. I don't know. I, I feel like those are pretty, pretty hot hops these days. You see those yeah. in, a, in a lot of things. And and uh, Chris Chris us way back for the, you know, Simcoe, I think, to, I, I think it tends to be kind of, um, you know, citrusy, whereas yeah. Mosaic is a little more like stone fruity. And that's really what comes out in the red IPA. That that really works with a malt very well in terms of the, the sweetness and the uh, the beautiful kind of aromatics that you get. You know, it has hoppiness for sure, but it it's, it's definitely a malty beer and it finishes uh, pretty clean. It's malty, but it's not thick and chewy, which is nice when you have an IPA. You get a lot of the citrus and a little bit of the pine on the nose. I don't get so much the malt until you take a swig and then the malt comes in and you get some of that caramely sweetness along with the hops that you're talking about, some citrus, some pine, some uh, some of that stone fruit. This is really easy to drink. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the, I mean, honestly, you could probably call that an amber ale. It's a little bit, it's bigger than an amber ale. I think given the amount of hops you're putting in, it does qualify whatever the, uh, you know, subjective criteria for, for qualification as an IPA, I think it does qualify. Uh, but it's one of those, especially when we open our tap room, people would come by and they're like, oh, let's try that red IPA. And they, and they'd be like, I don't like IPAs because, you know, people sometimes just, people is too, too, you know, too bitter, too whatever. And they're like, I don't like right. IPAs, but I love this red IPA, <laughs> you know, because it's pretty drinkable. It, it's extremely drinkable. And, and a lot of people think of IPAs, they think of, uh, you know, those, those kicky in the teeth kind of bitter pine tree, liquid pine trees that they yeah, used to make. Yeah. It's fascinating, like how IPAs have evolved now with the, the NEPAs or whatever we're calling them these days. Right. Those, those, re- I mean, they're pretty new, right? It's what, three, four years, maybe. I mean, I think yeah. those, you know, Treehouse and those guys started doing them. And I feel like those were, a almost a, a reaction to a rejection of the, the, the overwhelming bitterness. Cause remember like, I don't know, 10 years ago, there was like a hops arms race to get bitter, bitter, bitter IBUs. Right. Oh, hundred, 110, 120. It's like, is that impossible? <laughs> you know? Right. And it got to the point where people were like, I don't like this. It's not that good. Like, and now, I mean, recently I had one, I can't remember what it was, but I had a, an IPA and it was kind of like a classic West coast and it was just too bitter. I couldn't, I couldn't drink it. You know, it tasted good initially, but it, it had what I thought was an overwhelming amount of bitterness. So I think the New England thing and the, the sweetness is almost, a, you know, it's gone completely in the other direction. It still has tons of aromatics and stuff, but yeah. but it's so, there's no bitterness at all sometimes. Yeah, I think one of the nice things that the New Englands have brought along, even if you don't like hazy IPAs, I think they've brought along um, kind of a focus on balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people like the the fruit that they're getting out of it. They like the juice that they're getting out of it. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, we could balance these out and we don't have to kick you in the teeth with bitterness. Yeah. Right. Hey, what do you know? Right. Um, yeah. And this one definitely doesn't kick you in the teeth. This is nice and balanced and easy to drink. I don't know if you know offhand what the IBUs are on it. You know, I won't I'm, hold it against uh, you if you I'm don't. I'm going to say somewhere in like 40s, yeah. 40s or 50s. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty modest. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so let's let's turn to some businessy things. I think one of the big questions these days, especially for breweries that are are doing well, is is how has COVID affected you guys, and and how has it caused you to kind of rethink your your business strategy? Yeah, it sucks, man. Be honest with you, it really yeah. does. It's just, I mean, for everyone, not just breweries, like every small business. I mean, for for everyone, everyone's society. You know, <laughs> get right to it. Yeah, um, in so many ways. Um, but running a running a business, especially one with a retail operation like a tap room, it's been rough with a tap room because we're trying to keep people on staff and we're trying to, but we're trying to run the business at the same time. We've been lucky, uh, you know, I won't say we're like flourishing, but we're, we're not, I mean, we're surviving. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We have had been canning since day one. Okay. And we had been working on that off-premise channel. Uh, if, you know, if you can call that a channel, I mean, it's a millions of different accounts and types of accounts within, yeah. within that. But we had also signed with, um, a distributor, Wine Warehouse last year. Which helped a lot with our the uh, our expansion throughout Northern California, and we had planned to go to Southern California probably late this year, or early next year, and and COVID really expedited that. And mm-hmm. we we're like, okay, all the on premise is gone. And of course, that means a distributor suffers as well. I mean, they had to furlough right. so many of their on premise reps. That was the, kind of a catalyst for us to move up our plans. But the other big thing that we're so thankful for is that we purchased a canning line in 2019. We had been using a mobile canner. Oh, um, sure. At some point, it's the classic rent versus buy, right? If you're renting and you're doing small volumes, it makes sense. But the more volume you're doing, the more you're paying in rent. And at some point, it's better just take that money and buy a line. And we did that in 2019. So we didn't have to, once COVID hit and the draft business went to zero and the can business increased, we were not caught flat-footed and having to deal with like scheduling the mobile canner to come, you know, three times a week, which wouldn't have been possible. So... You know, those are the main things that we've been able to do. And we've really been, we've been subsisting on, on the cans. And as the tap room was closed, we, of course, you know, the state lockdown was like March, middle of March, I think. Yeah, it was like the 13th or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And like within a week, we had the online store up and we had the marketing and, hey, we're doing curbside, come by. And we were, I mean, for a few months, we were selling a lot. People were coming and buying. I couldn't believe how many cases we were selling that's slowed down as on-premise has opened up yeah um, and now people are just basically frustrated but, but right. it's, it's just, i mean it's like it's just ongoing it's the, the hardest part is again not just as a small business owner but as you know a human living in society is the uncertainty of it all is just trying to figure out what to do but, but we've also i would say we also the last thing on from a business side is is expedited i think our activities are, are looking for new channels of revenue, getting more irons in the fire. Yeah. We will, as of next week, be available in Pennsylvania. Oh. Yeah. First state, we've gone We've gone out of state. We looked at where, where demand seemed to be coming from on our social channels and like Pennsylvania was one of the states. So How interesting. How how far across the country, not like, oh, Nevada or Arizona I or know, like that. I know. I mean, we're talking to Nevada too. Obviously, it's like easier because you throw mm-hmm. freight on there and it increases the cost. But it was like, yeah, people want Pennsylvania, but let's do that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if the people want it. Yeah. That was going to be one of my questions. Also, you talking about canning since day one. I was going to ask, you know, was that part of the plan to, to can? Obviously, like you said, canning has had to step up during the pandemic. But um, so that sounds like it was it was already in the works and, and you guys were thinking ahead on that one. Yeah, totally. I, I think one of our earliest drafts of the business plan had us in bottles. And then, I don't know, we just... We, we wrestled with it because even today, I think mm-hmm. the, the general public believes like it's nicer to drink a beer out of a bottle. But as 
anyone who's in, in or around the industry knows a can is just far superior in terms of right. preserving the quality and the freshness and you know it's lighter so it's better for you know shipping and it's cans are recycled at a higher rate than bottles they're better for branding there's more you know there's more real estate to work with and yeah and, uh, in our tap room we serve pints and one of the things that annoyed us about going around to different places and saying here's a pint and you get getting 12 or 13 ounces like that ain't a pint right so so in the tap room we bought 20 ounce glasses oh. and we have our logo with got a line on it so that's like the fill line so that's oh, sure. a 16 ounce what we call a proper pour. So you buy a pint, we give you a pint. And we thought it'd be neat to like just parallel that in the distribution side and do pints, you know, can pints. And there were definitely people going like some like liquor stores. Oh, I don't I don't carry 16 ounce cans. I only have carry 12. This is like four years ago. Sure. Now that's not at least in Northern California, there's nothing wrong with 16 ounce cans. They're 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 so ubiquitous now. Now it's almost rare to see a 12 ounce can. Yeah, I know, right? We switched from bottles to cans because we just loved the the brand. And I, th- I think actually the, the group we were working with, we worked with a group called Good Beer Hunting in Chicago, founded by a guy named Michael Kaiser, one of our favorite people and an absolute genius when it comes to all things branding, but just general strategic and conceptual thinking. Mm-hmm. They really envision our brand, build the the visual identity, the design, and the the first drawings that were done were with cans. So we're like, oh my God, I love those cans. <laughs> and I mean, what you see now is like, we never change them. I don't ever plan on doing a rebrand. Like this is it. <laughs> well, I, I think we were talking about this off air, but I, I was saying how I like your logo. So it, it's clean. It's easy. It almost has this like throwback baseball feel to it. Totally. Uh, yeah. I'm holding it up as if you don't know what your own logo <laughs> looks like. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really nice, clean logo that right now it seems like the whole trend is let's make a Picasso on a can. And this stands out for the opposite reason. Yeah, exactly. That And that when we, and we feel like that sort of that vintage look is kind of reflective of the beer. It's not, it's not challenging. You know, it's mm-hmm. something you look at and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen that before. That's familiar. You know, there's a kind of like a built-in affinity and the beer is, is also kind of understated and not like not meant to overwhelm you. It's meant to complement your, your social interactions. So um, yeah, we're, we, we love that. I love the minimalist kind of approach. And I think it does end up popping a little bit on the shelf when it's in that sea mm-hmm. of um, that sea of what arguably, I mean, is beautiful artwork, sure. but when you throw, 20 of them together, they all sort of look, it can, it can look a little busy. Yeah, it's true. Um, so were you guys, were you guys doing the whole shipping program before the pandemic or is that because no, of the pandemic? No, totally because of the pandemic. I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah, we did the curbside pickup and then we started shipping as well. So we shipped mm. throughout California. So that was another component of how can we get the beer to the people? One of the, it's hard to say, but good things that came out of the pandemic is beer shipping. I've been able to try so many breweries, at least, you know, within California that I wouldn't have tried because I'm not going to drive to NorCal on a weekly basis to try different breweries. Yeah. Um, you know, got to try you guys, got to try uh, some Humble Scene, some, you know, some other breweries that started shipping. And it's not a bad thing. It's It's been nice to to get that in the mail. How has that been working out for you guys? Is that like a popular program? Yeah. It's like, it surprises you. You know, you're like, why would people buy our beer? But, you know, look, we're doing marketing, right? We're yeah. on social media. We're connecting with influencers we have digital ad campaigns going i mean we're you know we're we're trying to not just you know for instance with with uh, pennsylvania trying to take the approach of not uh just throw it on the truck and then cross our fingers like we want to have some program in place to build our brand and let people know about us so when you do that actually people start learning about you and then they order your beer it's very yeah it's very gratifying actually yeah i bet and i think the um I think you call it the festival in the box mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like 40 bucks. You get a, a I think six beers and, and a little necklace of a pretzel necklace. I think it's a great idea. It's, it's fun. 
and it, it plays to everybody's wish that we could go to a beer festival and we get to try more than just one of your beer where if we buy a case we get to try one and, and that's it but i think it's a really fun idea and, and a great marketing idea yeah yeah that was neat that was i think steven our tapper manager and jamie i'm our marketing manager that was you know in the context of gabf realizing that no one you know not only can you not go to gbf um, I mean, we're we're in November now, so we would ordinarily be concluding the season of festivals where we had attended, you know, I don't know, thirty festivals over the right. course of six months, and we've done none. You know, like we did a couple of virtual ones, which were pretty cool. But um, yeah, we we're like, well, how can we how can we um, try to replicate that and make people feel like, you know, it's not it's not all bad. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's a really fun idea. How has the business strategy evolved? And this isn't just, you know, because of COVID, but how has the business strategy evolved over the years to kind of help you guys stay competitive as obviously the beer market explodes, craft beer market? Yeah, it's, I mean, it is a very competitive market for sure. I'll be honest, we, we have not really changed dramatically. And we, and the more there are, I, mean, I, I would be lying if I told you people would come to us and say, hey, when are you going to do a hazy IPA or why don't you do a pastry stout and, you know, throw the donuts in. <laughs> Um, but it's just, I feel like there's enough of that out there and we hear it from bar managers and restaurant managers like, okay, I taste all your beers. I like them. Um, I've got 80 breweries trying to sell me IPAs right now, but I don't have like something that where your red lager fits, or I don't have a stout right now. And that oatmeal stout would be perfect or a pills, Mm -hmm. you know, pills just works everywhere. And even though a lot of, I think a lot more breweries are making them now. I think they're making them as kind of like an add-on, like, oh, people are asking for it in our taproom, so let's make a lager and we can have a lager handle. Sure. We've been making that since, you know, again, it's well before we opened and it's more, I think it's part of our identity. And the more I see trends and, and, and trend chasing, which again, is fine, like any, I mean, I've, I worked in a few different industries and there's always like the trendy stuff and there's the stuff that gets the attention. And then there's the stuff that's sort of like more reliable and oftentimes comprises a larger portion of the volume. I mean, look at beer. You look across yeah. the beer category. I mean, global beer consumption, at least 80%, maybe 85 is lagers. There's a, it's not a trend. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's, there's a, there's a proven audience out there. So, so I guess to answer your question, we, we have just really doubled down and we're sticking with our guns and and sticking to what we feel, um, first of all, we love to do and, and we feel there's a, a market for it. So, and I would imagine that doing that makes it easier to say, convert someone over from macro to, to craft beer. Cause you're sticking with solid styles. Log- you know, they're obviously used to drinking lagers. So yeah. you, you have a, a classic solid lager and they come in like, Oh, this isn't so foreign. It's not, you know, some super bitter IPA or something like that. Totally. Totally. And, and it's, it's, again, it's, you know, people criticize American macro loggers. I mean, those truth be told, those guys know what they're doing. <laughs> they know how to make beer very well and they're making exactly what they want to make. Um, and there is a market for it. You know, we like to think, okay, Boat Pills, probably a little more flavorful Pilsner than, sure. <laughs> than a macro lager. Absolutely. Um, and, and when you can introduce people to that, that's kind of a revelation. So it's like, oh, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is light and crispy, but it sure is delicious. You know, yeah. it's, and it's, it's actually it's, got a flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and, and there are challenges. I mean, you can't sell a four pack of pills for 22 bucks like you can right. for a hazy IPA, right? So there's pricing challenges. Again, when we're, when we're looking at doing volume and realizing economies of scale as we grow, you know, it's, it's definitely a workable model. Yeah. What I imagine most people don't know is that lager took a whole lot more work than that hazy IPA. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, getting to the nuts and bolts of the, of the brewery, this is one thing we discovered when we first opened, we, we opened with far fewer tanks than we needed. Mm. Very quickly, we're like, oh shit, we can't, 
if, if we're going to do these loggers, they're going to be, you know, the, the loggers were, were selling better out in the market than the ales and we had to run out and go get more stainless steel. Yeah. I think we've increased the size, our capacity, like by a factor of six since we opened. We started out wow. with 20 barrel fermenters and we got a bunch of 60s. And just earlier this year, we brought in a couple of um, 100 barrel fermenters and those are full of pills. Wow. How many, uh, what, what's your output annually at this point? We did 2,500 barrels in 2019. Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's still in the scheme of things small. I think we're in the top thousand in the country now <laughs> right. you know, because there's so many that are doing, you know, whatever, less than that. Right. That are oftentimes taproom models or whatever. But this year we're, it looks like we'll be flat with, la- with last year, which is disappointing in one sense. I mean, the first couple of months of the year we came out, we had basically doubled our size every year since we opened. And this mm-hmm. year started great and we came out, we were like on track. And then of course everything went sideways. And so this is not where we want it to be, but I think um, given the realities, I'm I'm pretty happy with where we are. Yeah, not going backwards, I think, is the ultimate goal right now. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's uh, let's liven the mood a little bit. Tell us about this uh, oatmeal stout. Oh, stout, great. That's the one I'm drinking. So, I would start by saying is this it, the similarities to our other beers are that it's balanced and drinkable. That's really our our goal. Um, and stouts in this age of over the top, barrel aged, pastry, all those kinds of things, big ABV. This is kind of none of those things. It's, mm-hmm. but it's very flavorful. We don't add anything to any of our beers other than hops, malt, yeast, water. Uh, I think the Belgian Trappel, we put a little candy sugar in there because that's sure. the classic recipe, right? But everything else, you know, the coffee and the chocolate that you get out of this stout is all, you know, from the roasted malts and the interplay with the the yeast and the hops. I love this beer because first of all, it's it's five point four percent ABV, so you know you can drink it any time of year. Paul was saying. He was checking, I don't know, I was like maybe untapped. Um, we got we got into the Oakland Coliseum where the Oakland A's play mm-hmm. last summer, summer 2019, and they were selling pills and stout, and tons of people were drinking that stout. Because first of all, you know, Bay Area nights, not warm. Right. <laughs> and people were drinking the and, and and he kept getting check-ins on the on the stout, like in the middle of summer. And we don't, it's funny, we don't see, we don't really see a downturn in the stout sales in the summertime. I was listening to one of your you guys earlier podcasts. You guys were talking about Guinness. Oh yeah, and Guinness, right? What is it? Four four percent. I don't know what the ABV is, but that's a that's a pretty easy drinking beer, even though it's got this reputation for being this big bold thing. Right. It's really not. It's a dry Irish stout, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this one oatmeal stout is arguably a little bit bigger. The oatmeal is an important component because it it confers a little bit of silkiness to the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just got that really smooth drinkability. I think it's designed at least to finish with a a pretty, you know, a pretty snappy finish. You'll get some lingering, probably a little bit like when you drink a cup of coffee, you know, mm-hmm. that a little espresso, maybe a little, little that, but pleasant um, notes of bitterness. Yeah. It's the nice uh, coffee bitterness, not uh, any sort of over the top bitterness. Yeah. You definitely get some coffee up front it finishes with a little bit of chocolate. Um, like you said, that oatmeal gives it just a little bit of silkiness and it's just yeah. a nice, I think I said this about the red lager. It's a nice, pleasant drinking experience. Yeah. And at 5.4, you, you can have a couple of these and be, be A-OK. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love hearing that. I mean, that's that's really our goal is to have a, a nice, pleasant drinking experience. The other funny thing about this one, one of our um, a local coffee place in Richmond called Kaleidoscope Coffee, mm-hmm. in the summertime, I think uh, Cassie, who's the owner, she she does stout floats. So you can come oh. in and get a uh, an East Brother oatmeal stout with a scoop of vanilla ice cream in it. And it's like, so good. And and I think I think it works better with something like this than a big boozy sweet stuff because it's not on the sweet side and therefore the you know it balances the sweet ice cream really well. 
well. So, and it's got a little bit of that carbonation too, where some of the big boozy stouts are usually pretty flat. Mm-hmm. This has a little bit of that carbonation that kind of replicates that root beer float experience from when you were a kid. Very easy drinking, like I said. Cool. All right. Before we end things, I want to ask you, because you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, what was your, your and, and talk to Chris's, if you can, a little bit, day job before opening a brewery? Well, Chris, like I said, has owned a retail store construction firm for a long time, and he still runs that. So he kind of mm. he kind of does double duty. Mine, I worked in the video games industry for a long time. Um, I worked for Sega, oh. kind of old school. Yeah, Sonic. You know, Sonic the Hedgehog, yes. Love love those pla- those side scrolling platformers. Um, I mean, if you look at a lot of games today, it's like that's Sonic with a different skin. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. But it's funny too because I realized that I I gravitate towards categories products that are high engagement and high passion. Mm. There's a lot of similarities between games and beer. A lot of opinions and a lot of passion. A lot of like I don't know, just a, a lot of social media posting and. It's true. A lot of allegiance and loyalty to brands and characters and styles of beer, you know. So it's kind of funny that I ended up. I, I've done a few other things. Like just before I came, um, we started this. I was working for a nonprofit called Common Sense Media in San Francisco. They do kids media literacy, basically teaching oh. teaching kids how to behave online, which, which <laughs> passing day and month and year becomes seems to become more important. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was fun. Um, and I did kind of business development. I did like licensing deals with Comcast and Google mm. and Apple and stuff like that. So neither of you came from any sort of beer related. No, 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 no. But um, I will say all the, the business, compl- you know, the things that I, I've done a bunch of different things over the years and I have, I have brought all those skills and experiences to bear in with East brother. And, uh, and Chris is one of those people who's a autodidact, you know, he teaches himself things yeah. and he's got a very, He's very, very mechanically inclined, as is Paul. Beer is chemistry also, right? It's like building stuff and then understanding the chemistry that's happening in the stuff you built, right. basically. And his his mind uh, works that way. And so I think he's predisposed to to make good beer and to, and to build it. I mean, you know, he'll come in like those 200 barrel fermenters recently. He, he basically just came in and installed them himself, you know, built it just wow. for a few uh, week or two, just built all this crazy scaffolding and piping and electrical. And it was nuts. Like, damn, dude, you just, you did that yourself. I'll just be over here on my laptop. Just like, right. I'm going to, I'm doing some other stuff. But Paul's like, I'm going to supervise. Great job. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll come in and say, yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Uh, but Paul's like that too. Like I said, you know, very, um, you know, stuff breaks. It's just like, oh, okay. You gotta go fix it. That's awesome. Um, so one thing I always like to end the, the interviews on is what I call rapid fire questions. These are a series of questions. Don't think about them. Answer the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, nothing too serious here. What's the first beer you ever drank? Schlitz. What's the first beer you ever brewed? Uh, Red Lager. What is the first beer the brewery sold? Gold IPA. Cans or bottles? Cans. What is your favorite beer food pairing? Um, Pilsner sausage and sauerkraut. Ooh, that's a good one. It's Wednesday night. What are you drinking? Oatmeal stout. What is your beercation destination? Czechoslovakia. Or the good Czech one. Republic, I guess. That doesn't exist yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite outside, so non-East Brother beer? Deschutes, fresh squeezed. Favorite non-beer hobby? Mountain biking. What's your favorite guilty pleasure beer? I don't have a guilty pleasure beer, man. I'm, I'm in my 50s. I got to moderate my intake. <laughs> <laughs> This is where we always find out that people have a secret love for PBR. <laughs> hey, I'll totally drink that. But like, I, yeah, I, I really pay attention to like what's going in me. And That's fair. And finally, what's your favorite word or slang for being drunk? Hammered. Nice and classic. 
<laughs> Rob, thank you so much. If you guys are up in NorCal, go over to East Brother Beer Company, 1001 Canal Boulevard in Richmond, eastbrotherbeer.com or eastbrotherbeer.com on the socials and like we were talking about they're they're shipping they got the uh, festival pack and all that good stuff so if you haven't tried it and you're in california uh give it a try or or soon to be pennsylvania right yes so by the time this airs you might be already drinking some east brother uh beer in, in pa nice so enjoy that uh rob thank you so much for your time and and cheers greg thank you man it was really really fun really appreciate you uh bringing us on Thanks one last time to Rob for taking the time out to talk with me and to Jamie and the entire East Brother crew for getting some great beer down here to us in Southern California and for helping to arrange everything. If you're in California, you can have East Brother beer shipped to you. They're also now distributing in Pennsylvania. And if you're up in the Bay Area, you can always just stop by and check out the tap room, especially uh, when things start to open up again. You can find them at eastbrotherbeer.com and at eastbrotherbeer on the socials. You can find us at theunfilteredgentleman.com and at The Unfiltered Gentleman on the socials. Email us, theunfilteredgentleman at gmail.com, and don't forget to leave us a voicemail, 805-538-BEER-2337. I hope everyone is staying safe and very well hydrated. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.